Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June, we're running our annual Radiothon, when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Programme. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools, as you know, are here every Saturday, 12 noon, without fail, to defend and promote public education. And we've got a fairly full programme for you this afternoon. Um, our press release, of course, and we're talking about whether or not education should be free, particularly public education, of course. But um, before we start, I'd just like to remind people that... Um, the Radiothon still is ongoing because we haven't made our target. We're not doing too badly, but uh, we really would appreciate it if you appreciate the DOGS program, if you ring 3CR on 9419 8377. 9419 8377. You can always go to the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. That's 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And before we go uh, on with our program, I've got to stop press uh, bit of information, which I find rather amusing. Up there in New South Wales, the King's School have sent not only their headmaster and their deputy, but also the wives off to England to a regatta, a, regatta, uh, a row on the river for uh, the Queen Victoria, oh, sorry, the Queen's um, uh, plat- platinum anniversary. And uh, even the, or some board members of the King's School think this is going a little bit too far, especially uh, when they think perhaps the money could be spent elsewhere. Well, of course, a lot of people, when this was reported in the Sydney Morning Herald, thought it could be spent elsewhere too, especially since the King's School, which is fabulously wealthy, um, gets $20 million per year from the government. But why on earth did they send them off to this, um, to England? It was in order to be able to mix with the right people, to have connections that uh, relate to their objectives. Extraordinary, isn't it? It seems as if we're determined in this country to replicate the strange aristocracy of the uh, British. But um, let's get on, shall we, with our press release 942. What happened to the free in public education? Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jean. Since the 1980s, Australian governments have espoused neoliberal policies and privatised so many of our public facilities, they've sold our children's inheritance for a mess of pottage. 
as we are now discovering with the energy crisis. In education, however, the public se sector has fought back and our public schools are still with us and worth fighting for. But their funding has been eroded by the private, se private sector and parents are under constant pressure to tax themselves with public school voluntary fees. Victorian parents raised over $400 million for essential programs in 2020. But in 2021, voluntary payments in the form of fees and fundraising plunged. And public school families are being warned that a decline in voluntary payments from parents this year could force schools to cut curricular programs such as food technology and visual art, leading to stale and beige education for Victorian children. Meanwhile, private schools, which make a nonsense of the idea of free and therefore open access education for every Australian child, have literally an insurance plan to make sure they do not suffer from parents unable to pay their fees. After all, they need to keep their children in their schools so they can get the windfall from the public treasury in the form of state aid. So a business plan is on the way for them. According to the Financial Review, the 20th of June, an insurance product is sold to Catholic and independent schools that protects them is a family is unable when a family is unable to keep paying school fees due to the involuntary employment, injury, or disability. The reporter Julie Hare informs us that at any one time, there are around 4,000 children in the Catholic school system in Sydney on some form of fee relief, costing many millions of dollars. The new product is sold directly to school sectors and the premium is passed on to parents. And dogs comment, in a democracy, education is the right of every child and should be free. In Finland, it is illegal to charge fees. In Australia, sadly, the educational opportunities of our children are more and more tied to their parents' background, culture, and ability to pay. It is a disgrace that public school parents are expected to raise so many millions for essential services for their children. It is an indication of the private sector's view of children and their parents as cash cows for business operations, when private school fees are now part of the insurance industry. And now Kim will read us an article from The Age. Thanks, Oliver. Parents warn state school programs face chop as voluntary payments plunge. Government schools families being warned that the decline in voluntary payments from parents this year could force schools to cut curricular programs such as food technology and visual art, leading to stale and beige education for Victorian children. Caulfield Secondary College, Glen Ira College, wrote to parents on fr Friday morning, morning that it had already spent its annual budget in voluntary payments from families and was reviewing whether it will have to cut some programs next year. Glen Ira College parents have been warned the school might have to cut programs next year to a lack, due to a lack of funding. State school principals last year expressed alarm when the Department of Education and Training toughened its policy on parent payments, banning schools from pressuring them to make voluntary contributions on curricular essentials. Glen Ira College Principal Shireen Kindler and Council President Stephen Lawyer said parents had contributed just 33% of what the school had budgeted from voluntary payments this year. Victorian state school parents spend record $400 million on free education. This has fallen well below past year's support, which reached approximately 80%, they wrote in a letter to parents. This important financial support for the school remains a key component to sustain our high quality programs, which your children have benefited from over many years. The list of programs and materials that Kinder, Kindler and Lawyer said were in jeopardy include productions, concerts, art shows, house sports, competitions, and lunchtime clubs, 
library books, digital subscription, IT resources and materials for subjects such as food technology, visual arts, photography and materials technology all rely on contributions from parents, the letter said. Australian Principals Federation Victorian President Tina King said the department's changes to how schools can seek contributions, including capping the number of times schools can ask parents for money, have had an adverse impact. King said government schools rely on parental contributions to offer activities that enrich the curriculum for their children. Without them, learning can be pretty stale and beige, she said. Learning is free, teaching is free, but experiences are not. They cost money, King said. Schools get a budget with provisions for staffing and some minimal facilities maintenance, but anything that is above and beyond that has to be paid for from outside a school's budget, and that comes from locally raised funds. But Parents Victoria ex Executive Officer Gail McCarty said schools were making a mistake in resorting to urging parents to dip into their pockets. She said state schools should not pressure parents to pay more to support their children's education, even if the school is short of funds. Schools being transparent with parents about their spending is important, but playing the desperation card and putting that pressure back onto the parents to pay is not helpful because every family will have a different financial situation, McCarty said. The plea exposes the built-in underfunding of government schools compared with better resourced non-government schools, McCarty said. The only way it is going to be addressed is if both state and federal governments fix the SRS, schooling resource standard, for public schools, because there is a complete imbalance and the public are not asleep, they're awake to it. The schooling resource standard is an estimate of how much public funding a school needs to meet its students' educational needs and forms the basis of Commonwealth and state education funding. Under the current agreement, Victorian schools receive less than 90% of that funding per student and are on track to rise to 95% by 2029. Non-government schools receive more of their SRS needs and are on track to reach 100%. Glen Ira College asked parents for a voluntary payment of $140 last year to go towards general contributions, facility maintenance, and a building fund. Your child will not be disadvantaged if you do not make a voluntary contribution, the school said. All records of voluntary contributions are kept confidential as well as your decision about whether to make a contribution or not. College parent Susanna Farfour said it was devastating to think that the school might have to cut back on popular programs that it spent 10 years building up, such as student lunch clubs in robotics and share market trading. The teachers really work hard to provide a very engaging environment, Fairfall said. She said the downturn in pay parent payments followed two years in which the school had struggled to raise funds through fates because of COVID-19 lockdowns. Farfall said paying a voluntary contribution to the school was like paying it forward. The facilities, programs and other activities that students get to enjoy were funded through the contributions of previous families, she said. A department spokesperson said all Victorian government schools are fully funded to give all students guaranteed free access to the required curriculum. The Victorian government recognises parent payments provide a valuable contribution to enriching a student's educational experience and allow schools to offer a diverse range of programs and opportunities to their communities, the spokesperson said. Schools can continue to request voluntary financial contributions from parents to support their schools and their program offerings. Uh, yes, but there were quite a few uh, uh, responses to this, weren't there? Quite a few comments. And Dale's going to tell us about some of those. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes, I've just got a couple of comments here. Uh, Bob says this is a federal stuff-up, which has filtered down to the states. Public schools have always received the short end of the stick when it comes to funding. Uh, Muffin said it's very hard to afford the $1,000 or so that they're wanting straight after Christmas. Uh, and Mogley says, 
I feel for parents being asked to cough up more and more because politicians cannot seem to value the outcomes of education. We spend tax dollars on tanks and submarines and ask parents to fill in the gaps in state education, funding from their own pocket. And Mocker said, never has there been a stronger case now to dramatically reduce funding for private schools. Back to you, Jean. Thank you very much. We'll have a bit of a break, but before we do, we just remind you that the Radiothon money needs to still keep coming in if you'd like to uh, ring up 94198377 and contribute. Mantengamos la fuerza en la comunidad. Keep community strong. El time ya llegó. Time to donate. back to the DOGS program. You're still listening to the DOGS program. Here we are to defend and promote public education. Now, our press release, which dealt with the um, situation with voluntary so-called contributions to state schools, referred to the $400 million that was raised a couple of years ago. And so we thought we'd take you back a little bit in time to remind you of the extraordinary contribution being made by state school parents to our so-called free public education system for what is often, very often, essential things for our children in our public schools. Our governments, Liberal and Labor, are falling down on the job because they are more concerned about the private schools than they are about our public schools. But um, our state school parents are certainly not backward in coming forward in giving what they can. So Dale's going to remind us about this $400 million. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yeah, this is an article from Adam Carey and Anna Pritz, which is from March last year, uh, about Victorian state school parents spending a record $400 million on so-called free education. Victorian state school families spent more than $400 million last year in parent payments on educational essentials, sparking protests that the money is being used to compensate for the chronic underfunding of public schools. The record figure, $400.1 million for the 2019-2020 financial year, equates to $619 in parental payments per child per annum 
based on de Department of Education and Training data, showing that there were just over 646,000 children enrolled in Victorian state schools last year. This is in uh, 2019. Victorians consistently pay more in parental payments for public schooling than any other state or territory, ACARA data shows. Uh, total parent payments in Victorian state schools has risen by $160 million, or 66%, since 2009. The payments cover essential learning items students keep, such as books and stationery, and curricular activities, such as camps, excursions, incursions, and sport. The figure also includes revenue from canteens and uniform shops, charges for out-of-school hours care programs, and voluntary financial contributions. The Department of Education and Training revealed the growing cost to parents in response to a parliamentary question on notice by Victorian Greens MP and education spokesperson Sam Hibbins. Mr Hibbins said Australia had moved a very long way from what a very long way now from what should have been free public education. It's due to underfunding of public schools that more and more costs are being shifted onto parents and sending your child to what should be a free public school is now costing parents a significant amount, he said. Victorian state schools have discretion to set their own parent payment levels with no caps on what they can request but cannot deny a student access to the curriculum if a family cannot or will not pay. Gail McCarty, Executive Officer of Parents Victoria, who, which ad advocates for state school families, said parent payments were often informally set according to a school community's capacity to contribute, with advantaged schools generally setting higher payments than disadvantaged schools. For example, Clifton Hill Primary School, which is the top 1% of socio-educationally advantaged schools in the country, uh, received $1,167 per student in fees, charges and parent payments in 2018, my school data shows. In the same year, Gowrie Street Primary School in Shepparton, which is in the bottom 4%, received just $287 per student. It shouldn't be about their capacity to pay, Ms Hardy said. It should be about how they can give children a quality education to meet their potential without that pressure of having capacity to pay. Varying parent payment levels also demonstrated the ways in which schools were driven to get creative to cover budget shortfalls, Ms McCarty said. School leaders were putting time and effort into community fundraising efforts to cover the basics. He said, they've got enough to do. Their priority is to teach our kids. A Department of Education spokesperson said schools must develop their own parent payment arrangements in, according, in accordance with department policy. These arrangements must be approved by school council, uploaded onto the school website and communicated to parents for transparency, the spokesperson said. Schools typically offer significant discounts and payment plans to families in need. Victoria's Auditor General investigated additional school costs for families in 2015 and found that the principles of a free, secular and compulsory education were first established in Victoria in the Education Act in 1872, but have been watered down over time. 
parents of children in government schools are now required under law and government policy to pay for such pay for items such as books, stationery and camps, the Auditor General wrote in his report. According to the report, parents paid $310 million in parent payments in 2013, or $558 per student. Anna Hogan, a researcher in the University of Queensland School of Education, is researching the flow of private money into public schools via a grant with the Australian Research Council. She said funding in public schools had become the norm to prop up perceived government funding deficits. School environments are increasingly commercialised with corporate advertising on notice boards, in newsletters and on sports equipment, Dr Hogan said. Some public schools have raised up to $1 million in a year. They are buying computers, library books, teaching and learning resources, funding air conditioning and renovating schools to look more like their private school counterparts, Dr Hogan said. Back to you, Jean. Well, it's um, very interesting, isn't it? And this is all because of the um, market ideology, the neoliberal, neoliberal ideology where they tried to privatise everything back in the 1980s. But the interesting thing is the public school parents, that's uh, quite a few people, the majority of parents in Australia still want to have public education and have fought for it and are prepared to put their money where their mouth is and it's a great deal of money too. But it's a pity that the politicians aren't listening. Uh, eventually they might find to their uh, disgrace and dismay that the natives are more than restless about the funding of private education. After all, we pay for it. Perhaps it's time it was nationalised in the same way that the energy crisis means that a lot of people are saying, what's going on here? We used to have a national energy grid. Why can't we have it again? Well, we used to have a public national education system, why can't we have it again? But um, we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back to find out what's happening with the idea of teachers. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason for screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to to me and this community here, we've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. Three CR keep community strong. Did you know that you can pledge your support to Three CR Radiothon now and pay up later? Call the station during business hours on nine four one nine eight three double seven and tell us what you'd like to donate, and then pay your donation later. Three CR Radiothon twenty twenty two keep community strong. Well, the teachers have said that they want more than thanks. They kept things going through COVID, and a lot of them are off very sick at the moment with COVID because they've gone back to school 
and COVID hasn't gone away. And children are away sick too, and a lot of students have long-term COVID. So the uh, plague is still with us. But this means that in quite a lot of public schools, and private schools too, for that matter, particularly in remote areas, there is a dearth of teachers. They just haven't got the teachers to turn up to teach the children when they walk through the front gates of the school. What are they doing, Maddie? Over to you. Thank you so much, Jean. Yes, um, teachers are being offered $700 a day to, fit, to fill dire staffing gaps in country schools. Melbourne-based teachers are being offered $700 a day to work casual shifts in country Victoria as regional schools grapple with a dire staff shortage that one veteran principal says is as bad as he has seen. The shortage is mostly attributed to illness from influenza and COVID-19, but education leaders said structural shortages were also at play, with some schools chronically unable to recruit enough teaching staff. One principal said he had been forced to leave some teaching roles unoccupied indefinitely this year as job advertisements went unanswered. In response to the shortage, recruitment agency Anzuk has this month begun spruiking the $700 a day casual teaching roles, which are subsidised by Victoria's Department of Education and Training. Casual relief teachers ordinarily earn a maximum daily rate of about $400 in Victorian government schools. The financial incentive is in place for the remainder of term two, with the likeliness to continue into term three, the agency said. Education has been significantly impacted by the effects of the pandemic, Unzook recruitment team leader Tanielle Henderson wrote. While schools across the state have all been affected, schools in regional Victoria have been hit the hardest. To address this, the Department of Education has brought in a new financial incentive to help teachers from Metro Melbourne to support schools in regional Victoria. The financial incentive will cover the costs incurred to travel plus some extra spending money. Victorian Principals Association Chief Executive Andrew Dalglish said there was a shortage of teaching staff in regional Victoria and in Melbourne's northern and western suburbs and a need to attract more students into teaching careers. We keep talking about raising the status of the profession as a way to attract more people into teaching, but it's not seeming to occur as quickly as we would like, he said. Anthony Radogan, principal of Kurnai College in Morwell, said the school had found it harder to fill teaching roles this year than ever before. We are getting no applicants for positions we are advertising. English humanities usually would get several applicants and we have got none, he said. The staff shortage has been compounded by illness and absenteeism with about 30 teachers away at one point in term one, he said. A high number of absences had forced staff who were not off sick to take on extra roles, leaving them exhausted as term two neared its end. The teachers that aren't sick are taking extra classes so their energy levels drop, he said. The whole place becomes thinner and thinner, so some people need a mental health day. They just need to get out, and that leaves a hole someone must fill so it can spiral. Rodoan said the department was supporting schools as well as it could. Catholic schools in regional Victoria are suffering similar shortages. Darren Egberts, Principal of Sacred Heart College in Kyneton and President of the Principal Association of Victorian Catholic Secondary Schools, 
So the teacher shortage in regional schools was dire and one of the more serious issues I have seen in my time. He predicted that if it continues in term three, more schools may resort to combining classes or directing some students to learn from home. For schools across the board, our first port of call for replacement teachers is our CRT stock, which is casual relief teacher, or recently retired teachers. And as people have chosen not to return or get out of the profession after COVID, that stock has declined. Egbert said Catholic schools in more remote parts of the state, such as the Northwest, had an even tougher time attracting new teachers because they could not offer the financial inducements the department does. Melbourne-based teachers who are prepared to make a longer-term move to a regional government school can receive initial payments of up to $50,000. An education department spokesman said paying relief teachers a daily rate for travel, accommodation and meals to offer short-term support was just one part of its efforts to help schools. He said 15 teachers were deployed to schools in Shepparton, Wodonga and Wangaratta in the first two weeks of the scheme. Pretty dire straits. I would say. Yeah, yes. Well, I think a lot of teachers are just exhausted and uh, they haven't been really treated very well at all by the governments, certainly not government school teachers. I think it's very interesting that the Catholic schools are, are pleading for uh, extra help as well. Um, and they're complaining that the uh, public schools are better off than them. Well, that is a question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Perhaps they should start up an insurance teacher insurance scheme for their teachers as well. But um, we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back because our our residing expert, Jeff, has got a few things to tell us. First of all, Jane Carrow has been writing again about the chaplaincy program and then he'll take us across to America. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep community strong. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 03 9419 8377 or drop in at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, keep Keep community community strong. Radiothon 2022. Keep community strong. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled and focus on people rather than profits. Your support during Radiothon keeps the station strong and enables us to give voice to hundreds of people and issues for another year. And remember, any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. 3CR Radiothon, show your support during June 2022. 3CR Keep community strong. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program uh, and uh, Jeff has something to tell us. Over to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. And there's a very good article this week by Jane Caro, who we know is a public school champion in Australia. It's called Why the Public School Chaplaincy Program is Still a Bad Idea. 
uh, a response to John Dixon. And Jane Caro writes, um, last week, the small humanist online publication called Rationale published an article they had commissioned from me about the chaplaincy program in public schools. Once it was on their site, I did what I always do, as, an, as almost all professional writers do, and posted the piece on my social media pages in the hope of increasing its readership. It did, and then some. I had expected it to raise the ire of those who support the program, but most of the responses on my pages at least were strongly positive. It seems many Australians, both those who practice a religious faith and those who don't, can see why Christian chaplains, and frankly, is there any other kind, ministering to many of our most vulnerable and disadvantaged children in public secular schools is a fundamentally bad idea. John Dixon clearly did not agree and wrote an open letter addressed to me in response. It was published on this site and I'm grateful to be given the right of reply. When I began formulating my own response to Dixon's eight points of disagreement, I had it in mind that I would rebut them one by one, including those points where I felt I'd been misrepresented. But halfway through writing, I changed my mind. It was wordy and repetitive and, frankly, rather dull. Instead, I have decided to offer five reasons why I still think the chaplaincy program in public schools is a bad idea. First, secular public schools are the only schools to open, open to every child in their own right as a citizen of this country. That right does not rely on who a child's parents are, how much money they earn, their willingness or otherwise to pay fees, their religious faith or lack thereof, their sexuality, marital status, or anything else. Practicality requires that comprehensive public schools may restrict enrolments to a designated local area and by age. However, every child must be able to access a place in their nearest suitable public school. Hence, distance education for children in remote locations and specialist classes and schools for children who may require extra help. Second, because secular public schools must accept every child, regardless of who their parents are, they must be equally welcoming to every child. This means that they cannot prioritise or give precedence to any faith or to no faith. For those who argue that this means public schools are values neutral, as then Prime Minister John Howard said before he imposed the chaplaincy program on secular schools, I would suggest they reveal their lack of understanding about what secular means and what freedom of and from religion requires. Secular simply means not connected to religious or spiritual matters. Freedom of religion means you can believe in whatever God you like, or gods, there's plurals out there. Freedom of from religion means you, you not only have a right not to believe in any God, but also have a right to object to laws that attempt to restrict every citizen according to the religious beliefs of some of those citizens. The decriminalisation of homosexuality, abortion, voluntary assisted dying, sex work and the acceptance of same-sex marriage, the right to be transgender, no-fault divorce and even access to contraception are all examples of people, believers and unbelievers, successfully campaigning to stop their rights to make personal decisions from being restricted because of someone else's God. Third, imposing a publicly funded, religiously based welfare program on public schools flies in the face of the school's secularity. If you don't believe me, imagine for a moment if instead of Christian chaplains, public schools had been asked to accept imams or swamis or Buddhist monks or rabbis as caretakers of the emotional and spiritual well-being of the diverse children attending them. If you would not like that, then why are Christian chaplains acceptable? I would argue they are all as unacceptable in that context as one another. Fourth, those of us who are suspicious of the chaplaincy program are con constantly reassured, 
despite their religious designation and the requirement that chaplains have religious qualifications, they will not proselytise and are in public schools simply to tend to, tend to children's well-being. If that is the case, why must it be a religious program at all? I have absolutely no objection to trained youth workers, counsellors and psychologists who have religious, religious faith or have none working in public schools. Indeed, I would object strenuously to any religious test or even inquiry being imposed. In fact, in my piece, I was doing just that. Are they qualified? Are they experienced? Are they good and decent people? Then hire them. It's not those of us with no faith who wish to discriminate against those with faith. It is the other way around. Finally, the fact that chaplains are cheaper than qualified counsellors and psychologists is also used as a justification. I presume they are less expensive either because they are subsidised, not only by the public, but by the church, or because, as, as Dixon claims, Christians do most of the charity in this country. Let me make two points in response. To begin with, public schools educate the vast majority of the poorest and most vulnerable children in Australia, between 80 and 90% of them. These are the last children who should get welfare provided on the cheap. On the contrary, it is our most vulnerable, vulnerable children who should receive the very best and most highly qualified and expert care, whatever it costs. When I look at the facilities of our publicly subsidised religious schools and compare them to those in our public ones, not one of which, beyond a few in the ACT, are funded to the agreed minimum school resource standard. Pardon me if I raise an eyebrow in the face of Christian charity. Moreover, no child should have to rely on charity, Christian or otherwise, to get a decent education. As public schools are the living proof, a good education is every child's right, regardless of the circumstances of their birth. Charity and philanthropy are all very well, but they should never be, be the cake, only ever the icing on the cake. If Australia relied exclusively on charity for welfare, would we have the NDIS, Medicare, public hospitals, paid parental leave, the old age and disability pension, job seeker, or, of course, universal secular public education open to every child? It is secular democracy that has given us such a civil society, and I cannot help but notice the more overtly religious a government is, the more vociferously they attempt to cut back such universal benefits and the more punitively they treat those who receive them. I stand by my view that gods of any stripe have no place in public schools. People who believe in gods, on the other hand, are welcome and have an equal right to a place in them, either as students, parents or staff. Prioritising any faith directly as the chaplaincy program undeniably does, however, undermines this inclusivity, which is the central virtue of public education. Um, and that's from Jane Caro, who's a Walkley-winning columnist, author, novelist, broadcaster, advertising writer, documentary maker, feminist and social commentator, and a proud supporter of public education. Good on you, Jane. And back to Eugene. And here we are again with Diana Ravitch's wonderful blog from the United States. This is about an outstandingly stupid, outstandingly corrupt thing that's going on in America where big money is influencing public education. So this is called Arizona. GOP, that's the grand old party, which we know is the Republican Party. GOP plans massive voucher expansion despite public opposition to vouchers. Now, voucher system, just as an aside, is their way of getting people into private schools in America. So they believe one child gets a voucher, doesn't matter where you go. So they, they vote with their feet. The rich people take the kids off to 
voucher schools who, who are the private schools. So this is Diana Ravitch. Talk about cheesy. Talk about hypocrisy. Talk about weasels. Talk about betrayal of the public. Talk about disdain for this democracy. The people of Arizona voted overwhelmingly against vouchers, but the Koch brothers, Koch-controlled GOP majority in the legislature, is promoting a dramatic expansion of vouchers. Voters be damned. Now, the Koch, just as inside the Koch brothers, or there's one brother left, there are billionaires who are interfering in the public school system, usually for profit. So um, just I'll bring you just a bit of context. Now, to buy the support of public school parents, the legislators added a big increase in public school funding, but the new funding is available only if vouchers are enacted. Arizona has 1.1 million students, but only 11,775 have used vouchers to leave public schools. Now the Republicans want to fund vouchers for every student in the state. Does it matter that multiple academic studies have found that vouchers do not improve education? Of course not. Do you think these guys know how repellent they are? Four years after voters rejected a similar move, Republican lawmakers are pushing ahead with a plan to let any of the 1.1 million students in public schools get vouchers to attend private and parochial schools. Parochial schools are often um, marginal religious schools. And they are holding a plan to boost aid to public schools hostage until they get what they want. HB 2853, which is the name of the, the, the bill, approved Wednesday by the House Ways and Means Committee on a six to four party line vote, would remove all restrictions on who can get what are called empowerment scholarship accounts. Backers say this ensures that parents get to decide what is the best option for their youngsters. That assertion was disputed by Beth Lewis, executive director of Save Our Schools. She said that unlike public schools, private schools can pick and choose who they want to accept. Lewis said those schools, many of which are for-profit organisations, accept those who will cost them the least, meaning the highest achievers and students who do not have special needs. Republicans said they are ignoring the needs of public schools, voting Wednesday for HB 2854, which would increase state aid to schools by 400 million, above another 250 million allocated, additional already planned. But there's less here than meets the eye. Just a, another aside, um, uh, most of these schools, by the way, about 90% of them are, are only populated by white children. So this is the south of America. First, only half of that additional cash is permanent, and it's so weighted by, by the districts with the most students in financial need so that they would get more. Beyond that, schools would have to wait until 23-24 school year for the one-time $200 million infusion. And there's something else. House Majority Leader Ben Toma, Republican Perora, uh, of which is his electorate, who crafted both measures, included a poison pill of sorts. It says that if the vouchers do not become law, the public schools don't get any of that 400 million. That is designed to deter education community, the education community from doing to HB 2853 what they did to a similar voucher expansion measure approved by the GOP lawmakers in 2017. They collected sufficient signatures to put the expansion on the 2018 ballot, and voters overruled the legislation by a margin close to two to one. And Lewis 
told capital media services that supporters of public education won't be deterred, vowing to go to the ballot once again if the Republican-controlled legislature approves universal vouchers. She said while that would mean the loss of $400 million or really $200 million of ongoing funds, that is nowhere near the amount that public schools need in Arizona. She pointed out that voters in 2020 approved Proposition 208 to infuse another nearly $1 billion into public education. That was sidelined after the Arizona Supreme Court ruled the tax could not be levied because it bumped up against the constitutional limit on education spending. Lewis, the education community and their Democratic allies are not alone in saying schools need more than HB 2854 is offering. Senator Paul Bauer, a Republican of Glendale, said he was holding out for an amount close to that $1 billion figure. And with only 16 Republicans in the 30-member Senate, the plan cannot get final approval without his vote. Wednesday's votes come as school districts won a significant legal victory with a judge saying they are entitled to pursue claims that the legislature shorted them billions of dollars. So that's a, a case where the Republicans are again trying to help their friends, their very wealthy friends, run private schools as, and, and threatening the funding of public schools if they don't allow, uh, comply. Um, just brutal politics. Yeah, and there's another article here from Diana Ravitch, and it's, it's Jito Brown and Ran Randy Weingarten. Charter schools should be accountable like public schools. So pub in other words, private schools should be accountable like, just like public schools. They're taking public money after all, just like ours are here. Uh, so the article says, Jitu Brown, civil rights leader and director of Journey for Justice, joins here with Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers, to support Biden administration's plans, uh, modest proposals indeed, to reform the federal charter schools program. The charter lobby has vigorously opposed any reform of the program. Their article appeared in the Education Week. Charter schools, read private schools, have been part of the fabric of our public education in the United States for decades. Like a patchwork quilt, there is a great deal of variation among them. Some have a history of improvements to school achievement, while others have been ineffective or even harmful. Some charter operators are fiscally responsible, while others have been deemed incompetent or fraudulent. As with every public school and every expenditure of taxpayer funds, reasonable oversight enhances the quality and accountability of charter schools. This is the goal of the Biden administration's proposed modest changes to the federal charter schools program. But some charter school proponents have responded to the proposed changes with a fierce and well-funded opposition campaign. The charter lobby is pushing back with big TV ad buys and op-ed campaigns claiming that the proposed regulations would halt innovation in its tracks, gut the federal charter schools program and impose a needlessly restrictive regulatory scheme. In fact, President Joe Biden's fiscal 2023 budget proposes a $440 million investment in the federal grant programs for charter schools. The Biden administration is right to seek more oversight of this program. As with all federal funding, there are rules to ensure proper use of the money. One study from the advocacy group Network for Public Education found that between 2006 and 2014, $45.5 million was handed out to charter schools that never even opened. The charter lobby is chafing at one provision in particular, the requirement for applicants for charter schools program startup funds to provide a community impact statement. For the first time, the program requires charter operators to state how the new school will impact the surrounding community. The intent is to ensure that the applicant has engaged with residents in planning for the school and that there is a need for new charter schools 
in the community and the school won't promote racial segregation. Every school system in America, when it considers where to build a new school, considers the proposed school's impact on the surrounding community from which it draws students. Charter schools should not be islands unto themselves, nor should they thrust themselves into communities that do not want them there. Charters that function as centres for innovation and best practices for public schools should be welcome in every community. A charter industry that advocates benefits from the closing of traditional public schools is not welcome. Take the example of Detroit, where between 95 and 2016, 152 charter schools opened, contributing to the closure of 195 traditional public schools in a city that had already had a declining student population. This left some neighbourhoods with no public schools, traditional or charter. Responding to parents and community needs is what many charter school operators say they're all about. Yet this responsiveness happens less than it should. In 2017, students at Hirsch Metropolitan High School on the south side of Chicago held a walkout protesting a proposed charter school that would be cited at their building. Parents of students at the high school complained about a lack of community engagement from the, new, from the proposed charter operator. The charter school eventually found a new nearby location and promptly obtained $840,000 in grant money from the US Department of Education. We are lifelong advocates of high quality public schools for all students, whether those schools are charters or traditionals. Schools that aspire to serve our children and communities should embrace their accountability to the public. Schools are community institutions and should not seek to destabilize other institutions in our communities. One must wonder why those seeking to open charter schools are afraid or resistant of this uh, reasonable transparency and, and engagement proposal. The, the proposed rules would give more students access to high quality schools, which is what we all, charter boosters and traditional public school champions, really want for America's children. And I have to say that's what we want for Australia's children. We want good schools and especially good public schools. Private schools, if they want to have them uh, exist, they should only be funded privately. Don't take public money. And if you do, at least have the decency to be accountable. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. We'll come back to Victoria and to our great state school. And it's a very interesting school because we discovered this a very nice uh, report in a local paper, the North and West Melbourne News, and thought, okay, we'll have a look at this school. And it's none other than North Melbourne Errol Street Primary School, a school that's been around for well over 100 years and uh, has a very good reputation indeed. And it is doing so well that they're going to build another part of the school nearby, near the Housing Commission um, uh, housing in, uh, in North Melbourne. Over to you, Maddie. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's great state school, as Jean said just before, is North Melbourne Primary School or Errol Street Primary School. Congratulations, North Melbourne Primary School. Kimberly Fernandez is the EAL teacher at North Melbourne Primary, and she wrote this for the North and West Melbourne News Winter Edition. 
Nearly half our students at North Melbourne Primary School are plurilingual. Amazingly, more than 40 languages or dialects are spoken in their homes. This makes our school a very diverse community. After an initial assessment by classroom teachers, we offer students extra English literacy support throughout English as an additional language classes. EAL classes are usually about eight children, enabling a genuine student to teacher focus. They involve activities such as science experiments, puppet plays, arts and crafts, cooking, exploring books oh. and singing action songs. As the school specialist EAL teacher, I simply love my work. I found my niche here after 25 years in schools, teaching every level from prep to year 12. I work closely with classroom teachers and give regular feedback on their students' progress. It's a team effort as the teachers themselves are skilled at maximizing children's language acquisition. Science experiments work well with EAL students as they are so visual. The children love an activity that shows the action of color mixing as they investigate the hydrophobic properties of dish detergent in milk. A sure sign of children enjoying learning is when they can't wait to get to the classroom. When I round up the EAL students for class, I always hear excited shouts, race you to the EAL room. Once inside, the highlight is our pet Yabby. The children named him Yod and he's been with us since the start of the year. He lives in a little aquarium and loves in eating Yabby pellets and lots of fresh waterweed. The students love to say hello to him as they peer into his tank. Where are you hiding? Hussein asks each day. Pearl is intrigued by his ability to shed his skin. EAL students try their hand at a science experiment. You're so big now, when will you lose your skin again? It's a real joy to see EAL students progress as they gain language skills. Some arrived with very limited English and were unable to share their needs and ideas. Now, every day I hear their happy voices as they play and laugh and learn. One popular activity asks students to tap into their five senses to improve their writing. They are offered a tasting plate with foods such as lemon, honey, grapes, tomato, and Vegemite. Their reactions to the tastings were priceless. What is this? Vegemite? Oh, I hate it. For little Daria, a recent arrival, the taste of chicken and lemon was a poignant reminder of home. In my country, we make lots of food with lemon. My favorite is lemon and chicken, but I don't know what to call it in English. This school in, what a beautiful story that was. That was just gorgeous. This school in the inner Western suburbs receives many, services many families with a generous income, but has a high number of multilingual children. The school has 807 students, 433 boys and 374 girls. Its ICSIA value is 1,144 and 64% of its families have an income in the upper quartile or 23% of the Australian community. 8% are from the second quartile, 8% from the third, and 4% are from disadvantaged families. There are 63% from non-English backgrounds attending this school and eight Indigenous students attending this school. The Australian government provides only $2.2 million annually and the state $6.7 million. The parents paid $534,000 in fees and raised $14,000 in 2021, and it costs only $10,804 per pupil to educate a child at this school. So congratulations, North Melbourne Primary School. You are our great state school of the week. That $10,000 is below the uh, resource standard. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the parents at that school should be uh, complaining bitterly especially if they're asked to, to raise more voluntary funds um, because it's an exceptional school, really. 
and um, the teachers and the parents are doing a wonderful job. Uh, what what a, a, an interesting uh, lot of information you've been giving us, Maddie. But uh, our time is gone. And before we go, we'd like to remind you, if you've got a little bit of spare money, ring 94198377 and give us a little bit for the dogs program. And you can call that number during business hours from Monday to Friday. But if you'd like to pledge a donation out of business hours, you can always go to the 3CR website. That's 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. That's 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And there's a whole range of options on how to pledge a donations, a donation to the dogs program to help keep 3CR on air for another year. If you'd like to find out more about the dogs, go to our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Because we're a bit under what we were supposed to raise. But uh, thank you for being with us this week and we'll be back again next week with the Dogs Program from Dale and Maddie and Oliver and Kim and Jeff. It is bye for now. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead.